Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I unpack the topic of complex adaptive systems. Humans are complex creatures. We're exposed to a massive amount of environmental variables, and because of that, things aren't always straightforward and predictable when it comes to solving problems like pain or like disease. Understanding the science and the concepts behind complex adaptive systems can provide an improved perspective when working with humans, and we found the research for this episode super interesting. We start by defining some of the terminology. We talk about the limitations of reductionist thinking when it comes to health. We review some of the unique properties that arise from complex systems like emergence, adaptability, variability, and self-organization. We finish by contrasting the terms complicated and complex and how they're very different. And we talk about the application of complex systems to health. We really enjoyed covering the topics and I hope you find the information interesting and helpful. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by TFC Shop, your one-stop shop for natural footwear that doesn't mess up your feet, for foot health accessories, and for balance beams. Our goal with TFC Shop is to only feature products that are well-made, that help you improve your body, and for us to deliver the best purchase experience possible. We're continually working to improve our customer service, and as we grow, we're thankful to anyone that supports TFC with their purchases and for any patience in uh, staying on top of emails. Check out tfc-shop.com to check out what we offer. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC head office are big fans of coffee before 10 a.m. And this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three awesome coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind the craft roasters that they come from. If you check out the roasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first, first month of any subscription. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from seminars and workshops. They make super high quality, professional grade hard cases in Canada that can keep your electronics safe when you're traveling. You can check out nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com for more info on those. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. I hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. Uh, and today, Mike and I are going to unpack the, co- the topic of complex adaptive systems. Um, you know, when you work with humans, you eventually realize that we're super complex creatures, and the variables that affect our health are usually insanely high in number and also sometimes impossible to measure. So, you know, I think understanding that we're complex systems and understanding what that even means allows you to gain a different perspective when it comes to treatment. So we're going to unpack um, systems science and kind of complex adaptive systems, what that means, um, and just go through a couple features uh, of that kind of realm of study and then apply it at the end. We're going to apply it to health and movement and uh, certain topics related to humans. So maybe a good place to start is um, talking about what is a complex system and the the definition I have is a system composed of many components which interact with each other. And examples would be, you know, things like uh, Earth's global climate, the human brain, the economy. So, mm-hmm. and I think just even understanding what a system is, a system is a set of entities uh, that through their interactions, relationships, and dependencies form a unified whole. Um, and uh, yeah, so complexity science kind of gets linked in there. And what that is, is, it just challenges straight line cause and effect relationships and approaches um, where isolating parts of the system is is typically the the goal there. 
Um, complexity science is, is basically looking at systems from that complex view saying, hey, there's so many variables. There's so many variables that have all these interactions with each other mm-hmm. that it's it's really not in our best interest to try to even isolate one or the one from the other because we don't even kind of know. Um, so that's kind of in the face of it's kind of the opposite of reductionism. So reductionism is is basically trying to explain systems in terms of their uh, constituent parts or individual parts. And that right. would be um, trying to break it down and trying to understand each individual component. Um, what we lose there is how all these components interact with interact, each other. Interact. So, yeah. um, and that's kind of the, the premise is that even if we understand one component really, really, really well, as soon as you add it in, and get it interacting with the other components, we start to, we lose it right there because we don't know what the interactions are. So that's kind of, there's positives and negatives to each, I, w- I would say. And I think the, the biggest premise here is that I think we get in trouble when we go too far down the reductionist pathway. Right. Um, it's still very, very important because it's, it's very applicable to um, certain things where we can isolate variables and we can get really good responses, especially in health. Um, but then we start to lose all these other interactive approaches and we might be missing this big picture. I think reductionism get, can get so concerned with certain variables that it's almost like you're, you're missing this blatant Right. picture right in front of you that a lot of the times and we're like hey are you are you looking at the same thing i'm looking at it's like super simple it's right in front of you <laughs> and they're like no i'm looking at the atomic level of this and this and this and you're like no the, yeah. the person just and that's why you know if you apply it you can easily apply it to feet right someone looks at someone's foot and says oh your big toe joint is restricted you have osteoarthritic changes at your big toe joint you have all these um specific issues pathologies at that specific joint and they start to go deep and okay this is what we got to do to restore the function there blah blah, blah. and then it's like wait a minute you didn't even talk about shoes. Like, what are you putting on top of your foot all day long? Maybe that has something to do. Maybe that system, that clothing variable that you put on top of your foot has an effect on the actual foot system. And if you don't look at it from that perspective, or if you don't look at the hip as a variable that uh, interrelates with the foot, then you miss out on the big picture and being able to sustainably fix these issues. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I think I think in medicine, we have there is a place for reductionist thinking and understanding complex systems because... You know, the way I always look at reductionist thinking really helps you to understand um, complicated organisms, right? Like if you look at a human and you want to start understanding how this thing works, uh, it is really helpful to break down the individual organs into the role that they do or muscles and tendons to know what the parts are. But if you think that knowing the parts individually allows you to solve problems that are systemic, that's, I think, where we fall short. Exactly. Premise being that humans are complex. The human body, human biology is, is a complex system. Right. And so we got to treat it as such when we're looking at health outcomes and, and achieving states of health. And it's a system um, of systems, right? Like a, I, I think yeah. it, it gets kind of, it gets kind of um, blurry when you talk about systems because, you know, if a system is a set of entities that um, form a unified whole, I think if you look at systems, you know, there's different levels of systems. And we'll talk about that later with sub and super systems. But um, you have to be able to take this really big macro view of things to get perspective on what you're actually looking at. Yeah. Because if all you do is look at that one thing, you know, I think, you know, 
in terms of a good example of that in health would be joint replacements, right? Like we, the orthopedic surgeon looks at the femoral head and sees that the cartilage is worn down. So he sees one component of that system and says, okay, the part's broken down, we'll replace the part. So he, he does that, but he fails to realize a lot of times like, okay, well, what system was this part working within and what created that problem to develop? Because, you know, I think some people take the uh, basic premise that as you get older, your body breaks down. When you hit 40, the breakdown starts. And if you take that premise, then it's just, okay, well, parts that are worn down need to be replaced. But if you understand that the human body is a healing machine and functions actually very well if you take care of it, then the problem is not actually with the part. The problem is actually with how the system's interacting with the environment or how the system is being used. And that's causing the breakdown of the part. So we just, we have this narrow sighted view that I think is, is doing us a disservice in medicine. Exactly. So I think big premise there, it's near impossible to isolate variables within complex systems, right? We are complex systems. So therefore it's, it's a, uh, it's very hard or almost impossible to isolate variables within ourselves when it comes to, when it comes to health. Um, and I think another premise is don't bring complex solutions We'll get into the the details of this later, but don't bring complex solutions to complex systems. I think when the system's complex in and of itself, um, it requires oftentimes the simpler solutions right? so that the system itself can then run um, according to its complexity and, and self-organize and do all these other things that we'll, we'll get into, all these properties of complex systems that, mm-hmm. um, that it's almost like the biology will just work its magic and do its thing if we just apply the simple appropriate conditions for it to do its thing. Exactly. So it's Uh, more about applying constraints than adding more variables into the mix. Yeah. So do you want to get into, um, you want to talk about reductionism just a little bit. So, you know, I, I think, well, we talked about it. It's, it's taking, uh, the whole and breaking it down into individual parts. So understanding anatomy, muscles, joints, tendons. Um, and, you know, like we talked about, issues arise when you take reductionist thinking to solve uh, problems within complex systems. And if we, you know, I think uh, a good parallel analogy for people will be um, comparing humans to machines, right? When a machine is broken, say your car is broken, you can go in and take a reductionist approach, right? You can go through and troubleshoot and diagnose a problem by finding the one part that's broken that needs to be replaced yeah. to fix the whole. And that reductionist thinking works because there's there's known variables, right? It's a, cars are complicated, but they're not complex. They have known parts. There's often one part that it's like, aha, it's that part because, and that's causing the, the system to fail. Right. So we can, we can then therefore use that approach more reliably and say, okay, let's literally replace that one part and the system is up and running again perfectly. Right. And then that can continue. Um, and as long as we know all of the parts, which we do, somebody built that car, right? Some engineers built that car. They know the exact parts of that car. And you can apply that to any other, like even very complicated machine. People know how it, it was made. Somebody made it. We know exactly what went into it. We know all of the components of it. We know how those components interact with each other too, because there is still interaction. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just more, it's easier to point the finger at a specific part in that case. And like you said before, reductionist thinking does have a place. Like it's all, it's all kind of one continuum. You have reductionist thinking on one side and then you have an appreciation for complex adaptive systems on the other. And you have to know the whole spectrum in order to appreciate when one tool is good to use and when the other one is good to use. And knowing that both exist allows you to have some context to look at problems saying, okay, your ankle's tight. So reductionist standpoint is your ankle mobility is limited. But if you don't actually look at the whole system as a whole and say, oh, wow, your your hip is tight and what you cover your foot with is actually affecting your ankle, 
you know, that understanding the context of the whole system is important to get a sustainable solution. Yeah. Because if it's just the ankle capsule that's tight and you work to loosen up the ankle capsule but fail to address the other um, systemic variables that are playing into that problem, then you never end up treating, you never end up addressing the problem because you never actually understand the, the causes that are contributing. So reductionist thinking, understanding how the ankle is made from an anatomy standpoint is a reductionist version of understanding the body because you're isolating one part. But when it comes to solving problems, we need to appreciate that reductionist thinking uh, has really done us a, a kind of a disservice for the most part, um, you know, in the world of medicine and health. I would say that the reductionist data that we can get is is very important to inform us on the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So I think we just need to use it for what it is. Like it, it is really, you can get a lot from even studying like the deep biology of like tendon, tendon health and, and tendon morphology and, and what, so like you can use all of these, these deep scientific uh, findings to actually inform the bigger picture. But as long as it is, it is actually informing the bigger picture. Yeah. So, um, it's all, it's both, it's always both. And then if somebody's are only arguing for complex systems or they're only arguing for reduction, I think it's, again, it's, it's both. Yeah. People have trouble with that, but it's, it's always both. Um, yeah. So, and it's almost like, you know, as it relates to feet, podorthus deal with the foot and ankle, like anything from shin bone down and physios typically will deal mostly with anything from shin bone up. And, you know, by reducing the body into those components or silos, uh, you actually miss the bridge, which is that you need to understand both in order to solve problems in both those areas. And if you look at medicine too, you've got a specialist for every single thing. So yeah. if you, if one specialist looking is looking at like, let's say lab numbers on, on these like small variables, but they're not looking at the whole, like what does this person do with their body all day? Or like mm -hmm. what foods are they, right? So the, the nutrition person's looking at the nutrition. So everyone's looking at different variables, but failing to understand that like these all are affecting each other. So it's hard to, you know, the blood pressure uh, measurement that we get, we say, oh, here's your blood pressure. And then the person might suggest like one or two things like you need to lose some weight and try to reduce some salt, maybe get some exercise. Yeah. But it's like, again, it's it's very complex. We can't just look at one number. Uh, and like, how crazy is that? Like the one number that you get when you go to a doctor's office, do you know how much variability there is in blood pressure? <laughs> it's a like, one, literally, you like 30 second snapshot you could have drinking a coffee right before you could have been cut off in the parking lot. And literally your blood pressure is abnormally high, which is very normal though, because right. your blood pressure is supposed to fluctuate. If I'm doing a heavy set of squats at the gym, my blood pressure, if you tested me right after that, my blood pressure is going to be like, you're going to die. But guess what? <laughs> it goes down because that's normal. Um, yeah. So we take it at one snapshot and then we say, Hey, it's high because this number says that, and you do, you do these two, three things. I'm just, again, um, giving this as an example, and then um, that'll take care of it. But it's just like blood pressure is so variable, so complex. There's so many things that go into it. Yeah. We can't just do that. And then again, what is blood pressure in the grand scheme of things um, in terms of like, if we say, okay, blood pressure causes heart disease, right? And then it's like, again, it's this reductionist thinking. So many things cause heart disease, not just blood pressure. Blood pressure could be variable. Yeah. The whole thing is a, is a mess right there. And it's just a failure to understand <laughs> the, the actual complexity of the body, right? Yeah. And we talked about this before. Health professionals, people that go in to become health professionals are typically extremely smart, extremely driven, um, and motivated to understand things, right? They were very type A. They want to understand everything. And the drive to 
think that you can understand everything and that you have control over everything is actually what kind of blinds you to the fact that you're never going to know everything. You're never going to know all the variables. The best you can do is just understand the system and then play with constraints to allow the system to do what it does that independent of you doing anything, it will do it all itself really, really well. You just have to create the environment so that it does it in the right way. Exactly. Um, and I think if everyone took that appreciation, I think we would um, just have a different perspective and give people back ownership to be their own kind of self-experimenters because that's really a powerful force when it comes to complex systems is just testing things, trying things, uh, exposing yourself to different environments. So, uh, I mean, getting into some of the properties of complex systems, yeah. you, what you just mentioned is, I think we should start with that, is one of the, the biggest properties of complex adaptive systems is self-organization. And that means that... Um, basically complex systems self-organize towards a state of order uh, on how um, on how they work and the interactions between them. Basically, there's there's checks and balances, feedback loops, uh, and, and complexities within the system that, but the system itself wants kind of more of a state of order. Stability. It's attracted to a state of stability and order. Yeah. So um, it's almost like instead of taking that isolatory approach, we need to just apply the right conditions and then the system itself will self-organize and do all of these things under the hood that we don't really need to be too concerned about because mm -hmm. it would just blow our minds if we knew exactly what was going on. But the system just does its thing, um, assuming that these conditions are present. So I think um, that's huge when applied to health. It's like if we give it these initial conditions and like the, the appropriate nutrition, the appropriate uh, movement. And again, other components of complex systems will show you that there's no perfect or appropriate amount yeah. too, because the next thing we'll maybe we can talk about is variability. But if we give it certain baseline amount of um, uh, conditions, the, the system itself will, will just run fairly smoothly. Right. And then again, we can get the, what, you know, we can, we can talk about trying to optimize the complex system thereafter and and making these fine fine tuning the system can go a long way if you're trying to talk about performance and things like that but i think just at a baseline being fairly healthy we need to just apply these baseline conditions right just appreciate that the body has this extreme level of intelligence innately that we don't have to understand we don't have to try and control uh, we just have to know that the body is able to self-organize is able to go from chaos to order um, in its own way if it's just given the opportunity to try different things right like balancing on a beam when someone gets on at the start it is madness their arms are flailing legs are flailing they're falling off 24 7 and without really giving anyone any cues you don't say fire this muscle lean this way you just say try not to fall off and mm -hmm. that constraint of just saying don't fall allows that person's brain and their body and all these feedback loops to self-organize to then create a more stable less chaotic um, ability to, to balance right yeah. and it doesn't require any help in fact if you try and help it you oftentimes put a variable in the system that confuses it even more so, and that's you could apply that to like globally how humans develop movement as babies so the system is such that it's designed again as long as the baby has an appropriate environment they have free space to move they have some objects that they want to play with in the environment they have these baseline factors in the environment 
the baby will learn to move based on trial and error learning, based on the system self-organizing, based on it trying things over and over and over, and then getting the desired result and then going towards those desired results. And this is, it's so complex in terms of what muscles firing when the whole postural system is insanely complex. Mm -hmm. You could try to break down every single muscle that's involved in the baby trying to stand up or trying to sit up straight. But again, you don't need to. And then if you went in, like you said, and tried to coach, if every baby got a movement coach, it would probably throw <laughs> the whole system awry. Yeah, it would so confuse them. the baby is fine to develop if the right conditions are present and the whole system does its thing. So that's another example of self-organization of the complex system. So do you want to talk about variability next? Yeah. So, um, like, so these are properties that um, develop out of complex systems. So... Um, kind of phenomenon that you'll see uh, happening in complex systems. So one of them was self-organization. Um, and the next one is variability. And I think, you know, one thing that I've come to understand over the long run when it comes to health is that the body actually requires variability as as basically its source of resilience, right? If you have a, uh, a structure or a body that is not exposed to variability it's exposed to the same thing like for example sitting exposed to the same position static position for prolonged periods of time or for another example of that is um a lack of variability is exercise right we we limit this whole spectrum of movement down to several monotonous repetitive single plane movements that we call exercise and by taking away the variability of movement during the day or taking away the variability of movement during training uh, we actually create a more fragile organism Right. Whereas allowing for variability, um, you know, every single footstep you take or every single squat that you do is actually different. Right. It might look the same to the outside person or feel the same to you, um, but every single one is slightly different. And that's the, those are the data points that we gather to create a resilience to stress so that if we're put in an, an out of the ordinary um, circumstance, the body has some sort of data to be able to apply. Yeah, basically, it's like you have multiple ways to get the job done in variable systems. And that's opposed to like machines where you, you have like one way the machine works. And if you, and if something breaks or if, like that's the only, like let's say a part breaks in a machine, the machine stops. If, if, a, if something stops working right in a human, other systems will come on board. There's people who've had half of their brain taken out and literally the other half of the brain takes over function for that again. <laughs> yeah, so variable systems have essentially different ways to solve the same problems and they have built-in checks and balances that can actually accomplish the same goal. Um, why is that important? That just, it, it's a nice to know that because the, what it means is that we don't have to be perfect. It means that we don't have to have the perfect diet. We don't have to have the perfect movement routine, exercise regime. Um, we don't have to have the perfect amount of mobility. Our body will adapt to what we give it. Now, there is a certain level that we should have in order for it to run smoothly, because if we start to eliminate things like joint mobility, to um, it starts to apply constraints that we might not want in the system, right. right? If I take my ankle and I say, hey, you can only bend five degrees now instead of 35, mm, that's a constraint that we might not want, because that's going to st start to affect how the system runs. But what I'm saying is that as long as these baseline conditions are present, we don't have to be perfect, and there's many ways to skin a cat. Um, so, so you could eat... You could eat one diet and feel really, really good and your system would adapt to that maybe, you know, moderate carb diet, let's say, if it's, you know, healthy, uh, real foods and things like that. You'd be like, hey, I'm feeling great. And then you could be like, hey, I'm going to try like more keto. 
And you can also be like, hey, I'm feeling great. Your, your body's machinery right. just adapted to that. So I think it, it takes away some of these like arguing points where like, no, this is what you have to do or that's what you have to do. And, and it, it's, no, the body's so variable that it can actually thrive on many different sets of conditions mm-hmm. um, as long as the, the right conditions are present at a baseline. Right. And that, like you said before, that's really a big parting point from where humans are dissimilar to machines, right? Yeah. When one um, single part fails in a machine, the entire machine stops working. Whereas in humans, because we're exposed to variability, you know, I think Hargo gives the example where if you take a tire and a wheel off of a car and you have three left, you're not moving that car. Like it's stuck, it's screwed. Um, but if, you know, a dog with three legs can easily continue to function, it just works around that. And yeah. the very, and, and just on a day-to-day basis, variability is actually what breeds um, anti-fragility, right? Expose yourself to cold, expose yourself to different foods, um, Obviously, don't eat toxic foods, but I think, you know, we need to be less focused on being perfect or doing one specific thing or the best exercise, because actually by gravitating to that, you take away variability from the system and you build in fragility because you're not exposing yourself to the broad spectrum. Um, Next up, you want to talk about emergence? Yeah. So emergence just in general is uh, complex systems have what's called emergent properties, meaning like collective behaviors of the whole system cannot really be found or cannot necessarily be found at the level of like the constituent parts. So let's take the example of like, let's say a nerve cell. A nerve cell does a few functions, like it'll fire electrical signals and things like that. We can kind of like break down the nerve cell and say, here's what it does. It's about as smart as a bacteria though. (laughs) No, exactly. You know, there's not, a nerve cell alone is a pretty dumb thing. It does its thing, but so we can look at the nerve cell and say, oh, this is pretty simple. But then once you uh, apply um, hundreds of millions of nerve cells together, um, I forget how many actually actual neurons, I think it's a hundred billion. He said billions. hundred billion in the I think it's 100 billion in the brain alone. But once we combine them all, then we this phenomena start to emerge like intelligence, intelligence, consciousness, all these things from all these individual nerve cells, which only at their component parts just fire these signals. Mm -hmm. How do these crazy things like consciousness and 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 human human behavior emerge from that Um, muscle function? All of that emerges from that. So. Um, in combination with all the other systems of the body. So So individual parts. I mean, essentially what this means is that the whole is not only more greater than the parts, it is insanely greater than the parts because you literally create behaviors through collective action of the individual parts that emerge that would not have been possible as a, as an individual endeavor, right? Yeah. Like Hargrove talks about uh, ant colonies is a really good example where an yeah. individual ant is actually just basically a dumb robot that responds to smell and behavioral cues and alone really does nothing. But when you put millions of ants together um, that act together and harness the collective intelligence, it allows them to create massive colonies that are like literally extremely complex cities with uh sophisticated social structures they make massive like some ants literally will garden they they harvest fungi and and fungi grows from um certain leaves to essentially create farms within their colony to feed the colony like it's so crazy but alone no ant would be able to do that so emergent properties are just when you take all these different isolated parts which on their own seem very unimpressive and and not really capable of much put them together sometimes extremely impressive behaviors emerge and um, I think we underestimate the power of of, uh, of emergence uh, when it comes to complex systems. And I think it's just one point to steer us in the direction of saying, okay, maybe even if we do isolate one part, it's not really nece- like of our body, let's say, or a system 
in our body or something that's happening, it's not necessarily going to give us all the information on how that right. works with all the other systems in the body to produce a different result than, than if we just looked at that individually. So yeah, even yeah. for like, you know, if you only look at muscles, tendons or joints, like if you do a histological examination on a tendon to show that there's degeneration, um, you miss out on the important element, which is how the hell did the, all these things work together in real life as a system? Mm -hmm. right because that's really where the answer lies to why that tissue is damaged the fact that the actual tissue damage is damaged is not actually that important right in and of itself it's yeah. it's basically useless in and of itself but how that um damaged tissue is interacting within the super system of the whole body and within movement patterns for example is really where you start to understand um where you start to understand the problem and are able to kind of solve it so mm -hmm. so we need to be mindful of emergence in complex systems uh, ad adaptive behavior or adaptation is a big component of it too. So our bodies um, and complex systems that will adapt to stressors and um, they'll evolve over time in the face of these stressors to actually get better at dealing with the stressors too. So so that's, again, kind of a difference from machines. Uh, machines won't kind of adopt different strategies. Um, they don't learn. No, they don't learn and adapt. and, and Yet. <laughs> Although we will probably not be able to say that in the near future. True. So, but that's just the adapt adaptation is huge. You 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 heal. You become more resilient or anti fragile based on what life throws at you or what stressors are thrown at you right. up to a certain point based on past experience. And, and that allows your system to kind of like learn and change and then get more robust. So, so if it encounters similar things, it can be better at dealing with those things. And it's always kind of trying to find, again, that that uh, state of equilibrium or state of like self-organization where now it's a, it's a different thing now because it's adapted to those stressors. So now um, it can deal with things differently. So it's kind of, it's always changing and adapting based on all these things that are going into it. So it's like, it's a work in progress at all times. Yeah. And if we, if we look at people and behaviors as adaptations to previous experiences, then in order to understand where that adaptation came from, you have to actually understand the experience of that entity, right? You have to know, okay, this person's got a lot of tension here, or this person's hip doesn't move. I need to understand what the heck is this person doing with their body that's created an environment where that adaptation has happened, right? Because because yeah. adap adaptability is is really good, right? It's what allows us to um, become more resilient based on previous experience and troubleshoot well, problems. I'd say adaptability is like neutral. It could be good or right. it could be bad. right. That's what I was going to say is it can also be bad, right? Mm -hmm. If you sit all day and your body adapts accordingly and literally just makes your hips rigid structures in the shape of the chair that you spend all day in, well, that adaptability is actually becoming an obstacle for you to be able to function properly. Yeah, So yeah, exactly. And I think all adaptations, all behaviors are adaptations to stressors and all adaptations are actually uh, functional, right? Like someone who... Um, yeah, I think with mental health, this comes up, right? If you had trauma as a child, then maybe disconnecting from other human beings was an adaptation to get away from uh, potential, you know, traumatic people, people that were harming you, right? You get so that person's harming me, I'm going to remove myself from the vicinity of that person. And if you use that behavior as an adaptation that was helpful then, but then later in life, isolating yourself from other humans makes you depressed because you don't have any social connection or sense of community. Well, you can't just say, well, I'll go hang out with other people, right? You have to understand when was that adaptation um, beneficial and what is the root cause of what created that adaptation so we can address that and allow that person to kind of move on. 
Um, And I think we just have to know that adaptability, everyone is always adapting at all times. If you have the wrong life circumstances or if you have a harmful environment, you're going to adapt to the wrong um, to the wrong stuff. And, And sometimes correcting an issue is more about creating a new environment that allow that permits new adaptations it's not about telling people exactly what to do it's like okay well let's take this out of the environment and then your body's automatically going to adapt take away the chair and sit on the floor all you did was change basically one variable right the furniture variable and all of a sudden you have a body that now has to adapt to a whole different set of environmental circumstances in a good direction so we could talk about that as a constraint which which is another component of or principle of these complex systems. So if you apply constraints, basically it's a feature that limits the state so that the system can actually express So or assume. So um, a constraint, like you just said, might be, hey, I'm going to actually remove some of these things in my environment that, um, and then I'm going to achieve a different state because these things aren't present anymore. Mm-hmm. Or a constraint can either be positive or negative. Um, a constraint might be, I broke my arm, I'm in a sling. So the constraint is me not being able to use that arm. I have to learn and adapt to use my non-dominant arm for a period of time so that I can actually do stuff. A constraint might be my ankle's really, really stiff like we talked about so that it's changing the way I move, maybe for for the worse, um, maybe in a way I don't want. So maybe I I change that. Um, So I would say like sometimes it's beneficial to have constraints and sometimes um, constraints can actually direct us in paths that we don't necessarily want so we can start to play around with these constraints and that can actually let the system self-organize again according to the constraints that it's faced with so i think that's another property overall as long as we are we're kind of playing around with these constraints we can we can achieve a state of health without having to actually know exactly what's going on or just let the thing do its do its thing yeah and that's really all movement coaches and therapists should be is just people that adjust constraints right are yeah. they moving removing constraints like if if the shoes you wear are insanely stiff and support the arch of your foot that is a constraint that's limiting you from being able to build strength of your foot and being able to access mobility of the foot so sometimes literally by just removing the constraint of something rigid and supportive on their foot but you create the conditions so that mm-hmm. the system can um, essentially adapt to different conditions and stressors. to different conditions. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, um, and achieve, achieve a state again of, of kind of, it'll self-organize um, around the new environment. Yeah. And, and it's not, you don't have to micromanage every single joint and mobilize every joint. The system will self-organize based on the new set of variables. And so it's just, it's kind of ushering adaptations to happen in the right way and removing constraints that are causing adaptations to happen in the wrong way. So it's really, you know, based on that, the importance of the environment is really a a massive driver. And attractors are kind of uh, similar to that. So like attractors being... Um, because the system will tend to gravitate toward the state of organization, attractors could be like these these habits or tendencies or, or baselines that, that when they're present, they cause the system to sway that way. So if you have a certain set of attractors, um, it's hard for the system to kind of get out of that state. If you surround your 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 home, if you you fill it with crappy food, and you and you, um, you know, if you apply all of these things, the state will tend to be attracted to, uh, the system will tend to be attracted towards a certain state, right? Mm-hmm. So the system tends to be attracted towards uh, a state of, and that is that is due to some of these things like constraints or just general environment, and and stuff like that. So. Um, I think it's like, yeah, uh, just provide the right conditions again and the system will be attracted towards organizing and achieving a state of order uh, based on that. 
So yeah, and even you know when it comes to um, playing with constraints, like we talked about, how okay, someone's a type two diabetic, so their blood sugar, whenever they consume some sort of readily available sugar, uh, their blood sugar spikes. Their insulin has to shoot out in order to control the blood sugar spike. They eventually become insulin resistant because insulin's losing its ability to do what it's supposed to because being used so much, and you know, an, a, a very easy way to apply constraint is let's take away all of the foods that give you a massive spike in your blood sugar, right? Let's take away the sugars, the the simple carbs, all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas adding more complexity to that system is okay. You eat sugar, your blood, your blood sugars rise, your insulin rises. We're going to give you drugs to put in there to help shuttle that sugar out of your bloodstream and into your cells. So you're adding more complexity when in reality, it's like, don't eat those foods as a constraint can literally eliminate all of that complexity. And it's funny how sometimes the most complex problems have extremely simple solutions because all you're doing is engineering the constraints. And the complexity that we've added in in that case is actually um, very reductionist too because you're saying this drug does this specific thing to this specific pathway right. um, where it might be a whole other host of things that can be contributing to this too. Um, like... Uh, even like things like stress, which has been shown to affect things like diabetes and all these. Yeah. I'm like not, if you don't sleep, sleep, like. right? So these, so these exactly. So not only are we we're adding more complexity to the system, but we're adding it in a way that is reductionist in nature that might be ignoring all these other factors that don't even have to do with actual, um, like you know, uh, the the actual diet even, right? So so that mm -hmm. it's it's again it's su super complex. But if we just step back and say, okay, you know, let's look at these baseline conditions oh crap, like we just looked at your diabetic test and, and then we said, oh, these numbers that we happened to measure didn't equate and then we diagnosed you with something, with something and then we actually gave you this medication on this specific pathway. But again, it's like if we just step back and look at the whole, we would yeah. say, oh, this person's sleeping five to six hours a night. Oh, this person is stressed to death. Oh, this person eats cheeseburgers every day because they're so stressed. <laughs> oh crap, we missed the whole big picture here. Yeah. We only looked at these little small things and then we applied this one little uh, fix to it, but it's really not a fix because we're not addressing, the system still kind of is, is All adjusting. you did was introduce a new variable yeah. and it added more complexity and you know, maybe it gives you a short-term change in whatever variable you're measuring, but eventually that hits a limit, right? There's only so much shit you can shuttle into cells before like, I think Jason Fung gives the most beautiful analogy. If sugar is like garbage, you know, if you let have garbage in your house, when your garbage bin is full, it's kind of like there being a lot of blood, uh, a lot of sugar in your blood. You need to take the garbage out. You need to throw the garbage out. You need to get rid of it. But if all you're doing, if by taking diabetes meds, you're taking that garbage and you're shoving it into your cupboards, well, eventually your cupboards get so loaded up with garbage, everything starts to stink and rot. And that's like literally where we start to chop people's limbs off with diabetes because there's no other, there's no more room to jam more sugar into the cells. We need to get rid of it. We need like literally something like fasting or a eliminating the foods that generate more sugar for the system is the elegant, simple solution that is free. And that's part of the problem, right? There's a lot of money in complexity when it comes to health. Yeah. And sometimes the free, simple solutions are the most effective. So that's another variable in the system of health, right? Because health is a system all in and of itself. It interacts with the system of individual bodies. But um, yeah, I think we just, the more you appreciate the complexity of the body, the more humble you become in understanding there's no way that I can understand every variable. I just have to take, 
you know, try and look for simple solutions to apply constraints and see what kind of change that elicits. Maybe it's not the change I thought, but at least I can get the feedback to know, is this going in the right direction or is it going in the wrong direction? And then I think, yeah, I mean, if we steer down the road of applying it to health, we are, we need to look at the, the human, the human being as a whole, a holistic approach to the human. Right. Um, and there's benefit to, to also looking at factors beyond the, the human being. And there's also benefit to looking at factors below the level of the human being, as we've talked about. So the reductionism is, is also very important. But also looking at it from a macro view. How is this, oh, this human being is interacting with all these other beings too. And the environment. So And the environment as a whole. And um, so it's almost like we need to look at, I think we should, you know, dive into the human being itself and then looking at more of a macro view and then also more of a micro view, but I'm always coming back to like, yeah, how is this being being affected by all these other things? Well, let's talk about just briefly, another um, kind of property of complex systems is sub and super systems. So, so that's basically, so let's look at the human as um, a system in and of itself, right? So the human being and everything that's related inside of that human is a system the subsist a subsystem of that human would be their liver right that is a subsystem within the human system or the achilles or tendon circulatory is system circulatory system so those are subsystems all the way down you can go as granular granular as you want and then the super system would be what environment is this human interacting with what other humans are part of this super system where you know other humans would be part of the environment as well but there's kind of like different levels and you know, to treat problems or to try and solve complex problems, yes, you need to be you need to be aware of all the levels, number one, and you need to kind of know which level you should go into to apply a constraint, but you need to have a, a, a global view, right? Yeah. Because if you don't, it becomes a big problem. This is where we start replacing our parts without understanding why the parts break down. It's, cr it's madness. Well, it's like you could even, like somebody who looks deeply into like hormones, for example, looking at like, okay, your testosterone or your estrogen levels or things like that. And you could break it down even deeper than that. But again, if that person, that person should know a lot about hormones and stuff like that and all the hormone pathways and all of that. But the solution again, isn't to add more complexity to the system by trying to f f uh, kind of play around with hormones and adding drugs in to play around with hormone pathways and things like that. Right. It should always be again, to look at the macro and be like, here's what's going on with the micro. This is interesting. Let's look at the macro now. Oh, okay. So we know that not sleeping very well is going <laughs> to yeah. plummet testosterone. So if we don't look at the macro, we always have to come back to the macro because that almost kind of informs the micro better. And if we just play around with more of these macro level things, oftentimes the self-organization that happens at the micro level takes care of itself and we don't have to go in and add complexity. Yeah. So I think it's it's both, right? It's nice that we can actually measure hormones. Very cool. It's all, it's nice that we can put numbers on all these things. And it just makes us better at knowing like, it's just kind of little data points again, saying like, oh, so all these things happen to be off. Well, what can I do about it? Go back to the main things again, right? Right. Get your sleep on point, get your diet things. on point. So, cause when all those things are in, like, like a lot of times when you put the big puzzle pieces in place, the little tiny puzzle pieces that might be off just fall in place automatically. Yeah. Right. You like get a picture of, you get an idea of the big picture when all the big main parts are kind of come together. And, you know, before we talk about uh, complex adaptive systems applied to humans or health. Maybe let's talk about complex versus complicated because I think uh, I kind of, before I read Hargrove's book, Playing With Movement, which I recommend to everyone, it's a very good book and a lot of what we talk about today 
uh, with complex adaptive systems was actually taken from his book. He covers it in a really good chapter. But I think people think that complicated and complex are the same, and they're actually very different. Yeah. And I think knowing uh, kind of the definition of those two and how they're different um, can really go a long way in helping you understand how we go wrong sometimes, misinterpreting things that are complicated for things that are actually complex. Yeah. Um, so complicated problems ha are problems with a lot of interrelated parts, which can be in which can be understood and controlled. So, you know, a complicated problem would be like a broken vehicle. There's a lot of parts, but they can be understood. They can be controlled. And when it comes to solving complicated problems, expertise and planning are important to solve those problems. So like fixing a car or uh, doing like open heart surgery are complicated because there's a lot of things involved, but you can know the variables, you can control them and you can, with the right expertise and planning, you can troubleshoot accordingly. Complex problems, on the other hand, are different because expertise doesn't actually ensure success in terms of solving complex problems. So, you know, an example of a complex problem would be uh, raising kids, right? It's a complex problem because kids, humans are complex systems. They adapt, they self-organize, they can't be completely controlled. And I think, you know, this is one of my favorite points that I read from the book. If it's why, you know, when you, when it comes to complex problems, it's a big reason why you can ask five different experts, very, very informed, educated experts on how to raise kids. And they'll give you five different answers. But if you ask five engineers how to build a bridge, which is a complicated problem, they're not going to argue. They'll all yeah. agree. And I think when smart, qualified experts have major disagreements, this is exactly what we're seeing right now in food nutrition. Um, it's a good indicator that it's a complex topic, not just a complicated one. Yeah. Did you listen to the Rogan podcast with the guy that created Game Changers with yeah. Presser? Man, that was like, that was hard to listen to. Be did you notice how the guy was just trying to like literally trap Cresser the whole time? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> you're wrong. And then he's like, see it. And then the fallacy. He's like, do you made. agree with this? Do you agree with this? Perfect. And then he like, he jumped. He's like, see, he was wrong in this one minutia point. Yeah. So that means he's going to be, see, would you trust somebody who's wrong in this minutia point? Yeah, that see, guy. He's going to be wrong in other things. Those, that so. was weak sauce, man. That yeah. that made that guy look really bad, I think. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying he's he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but it just. <laughs> he just that, doesn't know what He just, what he's a, not a good debater. He's no. just looking for holes when really you need to just understand the landscape and what you don't know and also what you know instead of he just targeting the individual. It, it was, yeah. But back to that point, complicated problems will have agreement amongst experts. Complex problems will have disagreement because there is no solution. And I think there's that- There's no brings, one solution. There's no one, right. There's no one specific solution and you can never control all elements to know how to solve something. You just have, there's an element of experimentation and variability. Um, and all things related to health are complex because they relate to humans, which are complex systems. So, you know, expertise can help, but, you know, you can't be common sense, self-experimentation and a strong intention to succeed. So, you know, complicated problems always require expert knowledge, um, but solutions to complex problems can sometimes be insanely simple, mm -hmm. right? Oh, you're having all these problems with your blood sugar will literally take out the ability for you to even access sugary foods by removing them from your house. You can get really good stuff happening. Yeah. So with all that said, let's, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the points along the way as it applies to health, but maybe let's just kind of summarize health in general and just maybe apply some of these things um, to humans to humans and human health in general. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think one of the first points that I, I want to make is that evolution and the conditions um, that are present these days are are very different than what our systems are are optimized for. So right. so that's kind of the the tricky part in this 
in that if you put us into an environment that we were actually optimized for, one that it doesn't have cell phones, one that doesn't have McDonald's on every corner, one that we were we've lived in for hundreds of thousands of years as a, as a as a species where movement is necessary for survival that that would produce the conditions basically the system itself is optimized for certain sets of conditions to a degree right and that's why you take somebody in one part of the world and their their genetics are generally better at dealing with certain conditions than other people in another part of the world like even just take like skin color like it's just like literally it's better at dealing with 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 sunlight that's like it's simple um but but uh so you're basically evolution creates these conditions or it creates the system that is um that is basically adapted to these conditions within again variability too Mm -hmm. but i think the problem we're having these days is that we've radically changed the conditions in the environment such that the system itself hasn't adapted to this yet right so that or we, it's adapting but the adaptations are causing a whole other sequence of problems it hasn't been it optimized align. for these conditions right exactly so it's adapting in many different ways and the adaptations might be unhealthy in a lot of cases right um like oh you're you're giving it like uh 10 times the amount of calories then it would naturally encounter oh you like the the adaptation is gaining so much excess body fat which right which might be um Again, probably unnatural back in the in the in the day, right? Definitely so, unnatural. so if you look at like an animal in the wild and say, okay, well, it's kind of adapted to this environment. It's really adapted to this environment. It it um, gets all of its movement in because it has to move. Everything is built in such that the such that the um, health emerges for that animal. Right. The or biology just, is aligned with the constraints applied yeah, from that environment. The whole thing, the environment, uh, the interaction with the environment, the food sources within the environment, the temperature, everything. Right. And it, and it's over time, it's, it's developed. Um, and, and the systems kind of like develop some order according to that environment. Now, what if you took a, a, a species that was uh, like, a, like a polar bear and you put it in the jung in the Amazon jungle? Yeah. Like, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so now like, okay, it would, st- I, I think at, at first it would eventually adapt, yeah. but at first it'd be like, holy crap. Uh, first of all, I don't have all the, any of, I don't know what to do. Right. So yeah. what if you take an animal and put it in the zoo? Right, you take away, you put all these constraints on its movement. You you take away its need to hunt, its need to do all these things. Um, you make it behave way differently. You take away all these social interactions. Okay, now the thing has to again. It's adapting, but is it adapting healthy? Right, maybe if we if we left this animal in the zoo and it had kids and it had kids over tens of thousands of years, maybe we'd see. Okay, now we start to see a little bit more of a healthy a healthy adapted zoo animal right Right. um but but i think that we can look at these things the same way as that okay maybe it's not so natural anymore the way we've often created the environment so maybe we have to go out of our way and kind of look at the big picture again and say well i wasn't meant to look at a screen for 10 hours a day um, so maybe i should just look at maybe playing around with that or i wasn't meant to eat this way Uh, maybe i should play around with that but again going back to these initial conditions that we can start to say we don't have to be perfect. There's no perfect way. There's many different ways to skin, skin a cat. We can actually do this um, in a multitude of ways. But I, I think we should look at a baseline level. What has our biology been kind of optimized for? And then can we kind of uh, somewhat mimic some of that, right? And right. what we choose to do with our constraints and all that. Yeah. And conveniences are great until they breed adaptations that cause us dis-ease, mm-hmm. right? Like things that give you ease in the short term 
can often create dis-ease in the long term. And so it's, it's once again, like humans can are capable creatures. They're able to make changes that they know are for the better of their survival or for their existence, but they need to understand the context that they're working in. And they need to understand that some things that feel great in the short term have consequences in the long term because it teaches your body to adapt in a weird way, right? Like yeah. insulin resistance is an adaptation, right? Yeah. It is, but it's not by messing around with your hormones artificially that is the solution it's removing some of the circumstances or playing around with the constraints that is causing insulin to be used so much and so and it's you, simple like keep it simple stupid that holds true so much with humans and i think and you could even say like yeah. some of the adaptations that it's making uh, your body's making again adaptation is just neutral but it can be positive or negative so like mm. let's say you're staring at a uh, at a screen all day your body's getting like literally better better at doing that so <laughs> yeah. what is it doing it's getting worse at doing not that so yeah. so it's it's getting worse at maybe um, looking at the grand landscape or looking uh, like having farsighted vision and all of that right so that's just like an example but um, that can be applied to other things okay you you sit all day your body's actually adapting to that and what is it it's mm -hmm. actually like your body's working for you it's saying okay we're going to kind of get better at sitting and we're going to kind of get gain more stability in sitting right um so that's your body's like helping out almost because like hey we're going to be doing this a lot it seems so we're going to get pretty good at it but then it, it's going to get worse at things that aren't that so yeah. so again that's where people have the problems like oh you know when i tried to go out on a do sprints at lunch like i pull like so it's like okay well your body, if you were doing these sprints or if you were, if you're doing your four hour, you know, three, four hours of walking a day, if you're doing the, your body would adapt to that and then it wouldn't, you know, so it's just, it's always adapting and we can't get mad at it if we make it adapt according to the constraints we put on it. Yeah. And then we try to do other things that aren't that. And then we run into issues. Yeah. You're confusing. It's, it's like, like telling a kid, no, you're not allowed to do this. This is what you need to do. And then the next day you change your mind completely. Well, the kid's going to be confused. Right. And there's going to be a period where he has to bridge. Okay. Well, I don't know what the truth is anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to be able to do or what I'm supposed to adapt towards. And if you look at the body as this very obedient, uh, like an obedient pet, it literally just listens exactly to what you tell it um, through what you do with it, right? Like what you tell it is the foods that you eat, the positions that you use, the movements that you undergo during the day. It literally just adapts to optimize whatever you expose it to. And if you're exposing it to the wrong stuff, if you expose your feet to footwear that's rigid and supportive, if you expose um, your body to foods that aren't actually food, that are food products made by companies to imitate and pull on the triggers that we have in our brain when it comes to food, then obviously you're going to have issues. And the solution is not overcomplicating it more and saying, well, I need to have the more of these nutrients or these nutrients. It's like, just eat real food. Just look at what your bio biology is adapted for. Um, and and change your environmental constraints to bring you more towards um, the system, the environmental system that your biology is adapted for. And it's back to this whole like rewilding thing or going back to a natural, helping people live more naturally. This is like this theme that you see with people like Tony Riddle or Rangan Chatterjee. Like we're just trying to align biology with the circumstances of the environmental system. And then really good shit happens without having to overcomplicate it. And that's kind of the health in a health in a nutshell that we've been talking about is all of these constraints and the environmental factors just make sure that they're present. And I think a good analogy when it comes to health is like the gardener versus the mechanic analogy. Right. So if you look at like, if we want a plant to be healthy, um, we understand that, you know, our role is just to apply it the proper nutrients, get it sunlight, water, 
right? And and keep it in a place where it's going to be fairly yeah. um, usher growth. Yeah, help to, help to contribute to usher. What will happen growth. is that the complex biology of the plant will do its thing, and the state will be a healthy plant if these basic conditions are met. So now if we tried to go in there and isolate every variable, we would often do more harm than good, or we would just be very misguided. What the plant needs is just these basic healthy conditions and the plant does its thing. So if again, um, if we did the same thing with our bodies, I think that's what we're talking about through this whole episode. We need to provide the basic constituents so that the system can then self-organize and do its complex thing under the hood and the state will be health. And the state will be, um, how it gets there will be variable on each individual according to what specific constraints uh, you apply to it. But there's some general constraints that we all know the system has kind of been optimized for over evolutionary time periods. And we should kind of play around with these similar constraints. Like you say, just real stuff, real food, right. movement, doesn't matter what movement, doesn't matter exact amounts of movement, get a get a decent more amount of movement, variety. get more, get variety, do a bunch yeah. of stuff, challenge your balance, challenge every system, right? Like, like that's another thing, like all these other systems, like is your balance being challenged these days? Hardly at all, right? Your balance, cha- your balance system needs different, like, and that's why like these people who kind of like sticking into like, oh, I, you know, you got to stick to the basics in, in like in movement. It kind of drives me nuts sometimes. You're like, you should, you know, just do your squats and deadlifts. That's it. And it's like, okay, well, you know, your balance, everything needs to be challenged. Just move in different ways. You guys exactly. are being so limited. And that's actually... Um, You're removing variability, which creates resilience. Exactly. And it's like, okay, I understand that people, everyone should be able to deadlift. Everyone should be able to squat. But if that's all you do, you're not going to be able to do anything else. You become it, fragile. It makes people uncomfortable when they see different stuff. They're like, oh, I, I was told that I was supposed to just do the fundamentals. And then it's right. like... And, and you should like, probably be... Com- yeah, do those too, though. Yeah, like, and you should like, probably no. prioritize yeah. being competent in the fundamentals. But yeah. don't do it at the expense of taking away all other variability. Yeah, do both. And, and that's it's always like, both. And some of these things like dance. Like, um, I, I know one... I think Argo gave a, a good analogy. It's like, you can't force problems you can't force a solution onto a problem you have to dance with the problem you have to play around with it and kind of flow with it um and i think you know a lot of these almost like movement arts uh like dance for example or or play the beauty with those is that you are getting mass amounts of variability you're getting mass amounts of movement data which can then be harnessed and applied to other things right like maybe doing a little bit of dance related movement or like literally dancing every day will make your squats better I would yeah. I would put money on the fact that that's the reality because you're just populating more or data. Or maybe not necessarily your squats better, but your your your, your squat pattern being you like you better, right? Like I would say like cuz you can you will adapt to like what you throw at your body, but what is that at the expense of? And if I just want to be like a healthy, well-functioning human, I should probably be doing you know a bunch of different stuff. But if I want to, if I like doing some activity, then I want probably do more of that and I'll get better at that along the way too. But it doesn't necessarily mean I need to just do that because I can also do these other things too. Again, you, you talk now like you're talking about the the sports specialization and all these other things too that we can mm-hmm. apply. But it's all this cons- complex systems theory that is all governing the whole process. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's interesting. But I think just thinking this way. You can kind of play around and play and dance with these kind of variables according to um, what state of health. If you if you want to be like a world record powerlifter, you might have to give up the fact that you can't you know right. wipe your ass. So it's trade off, <laughs> like, or a bodybuilder or whatever, right? Um, so whatever, it's just it's a do you like that? If you like that, great. If you don't, right. then change it. So and I think as health <laughs> professionals, we have to embrace 
I think when you talk about complex systems, people can get overwhelmed. They almost take two paths. Number one, you can get overwhelmed and create stress for yourself saying, oh my God, this, this creature, this system is so complex. How are we ever going to solve these problems? Or you can take the other path and it's say, beautiful. it's liberating yeah. because you don't have to have the answers. In fact, thinking you have the, the answer answers is, in it. is fooling yourself. The answers are already within it. You just need to, again, yeah, apply the just right things. Le- uh, exactly. Usher it, like be the gardener for this person's body if you're working with them. And just know that no human, no part of the human is constant. No part is independent and no part is predictable. It's all unpredictable, interdependent and inconsistent. So when you know that, you know, I think this whole flaw with single factor thinking in general, you know, the reality is that medicine is really good for signal problem cases. It's really good, right? If you break your arm in half and you, and that's a single factor problem, they're really good at resetting that and making sure it heals. If you have an infection, there is one single organism attacking your body. They're really good at going in there and destroying that organism. The problem is it really sucks when we deal with multifactorial problems like chronic pain, like diabetes, like autoimmune problems, like cancer or obesity. These are multifactorial problems. And it's a big problem when you are not good at understanding the whole system and all the subsystems and super and subsystems with multivariable problems because we essentially are trying to tackle single variables in a multivariable problem and we don't get anywhere. And the reality is those are the biggest problems affecting us today. Those are the ones we got to focus on solving and we need to have an appreciation for complex systems. And as a clinician, I think just... Uh, again, just treat every single person that comes to you as, as somebody that you, you deal with the right here and the right now, wh- whoever comes to you. Because you can have all these tools in your toolbox and you can be, like I, I do teach quite a few clinicians and, and new clinicians, physiotherapists, and they'll say, why didn't you show them this and this exercise uh, when we did that assessment there? Aren't they important? I said, well, yeah, they're incredibly important. Why did you show that to the last person who had back pain and not this person? Oh, well, this person came in as a completely different person. Right. They were fearful. They were they were giving me signals that 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 said, okay, I'm not going to even go there, even though that is important. If you ask me from a textbook, right. I'm not going to leave that. I'm going to deal with these things because this person, if you just looked at this, per- these people both had five out of 10 back pain. They both had probably similar, you know, you could say, oh, how come their stats were all the same, but you completed them, you treated them completely differently. Mm-hmm. Well, because I was dealing with the here and now and I was dealing with how that person presented and we're getting completely completely, you know, ultimately, again, we might touch on these same things over time, um, but like radically different ways of approaching them initially based on how they presented. And that can be applied to any other types of uh, clinicians too, is like deal with what's in front of you right now. And what is kind of the most, the thing that's poking out and like rearing its head the most, um, like it, this person, like even the state the person's in, is this person like really crazy anxious and upset or like, oh, like we need to start dealing with this first. Right. Where I'm not going to talk about core yet until we start yeah. dealing with this. So, yeah. um, so, so that's never... how you deal with complex systems is just roll with the punches and kind of just find where you want to enter in. And it's never going to be perfect. But if you can kind of roll with things uh, as opposed to work from an algorithm or a textbook along the way, mm-hmm. then you're going to deal with the human being, not not just their parts. Right. And I think turning attention away from the parts of a system and towards uh, patterns of interaction between the parts of the system like this, I'm going through this right now and it's very difficult because I'm trying to create this new a one day seminar and we're dividing it into pillars of health, right? To create some clarity and create like individual topics that we run through. And then as I'm going through this, I'm like, holy shit, every single, this is like a giant spider web because you can't talk about sleep without talking about how sleep affects uh, your appetite, how sleep affects your mental health. 
And you can't talk about mental health without talking about how movement affects your mental health mm -hmm. or how mental health affects your movement. Like it's a, everything is so interconnected. And I think there is. That's the there's everything a, affects everything phenomenon. <laughs> right. But there's a fine balance of being able to use some reductionist thinking to create clarity while also making sure you mention the appreciation for the fact that everything is connected. No one thing happens in a silo. Um, but understanding where the low-hanging fruits are and what constraints you can apply to get the biggest positive adaptations is still, that's why there's, it's such an art when you deal with humans. It really mm -hmm. is. Like there's no other way to describe it because there's an 10 art different ways is you a can skill get to the same path. That isn't explicit. And Brett Weinstein said that, and it, it's so true. You can't, ex it's, we, we kind of clump arts into a separate category. It's like, no, literally an art is just a crazy skill that we just can't explain what we're doing, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's just, we can't explicitly um, describe what, what we're doing sometimes. It's just the feel you get and like what, how the complex being presented at that point in that right. time, in that environment, et cetera. So, cool. yeah. Anyway, we hope that, you know, we hope today wasn't too confusing because, you know, complex adaptive systems it, and actually, like when I, it was a bit of an intimidating topic, but once you go through with it, you're like, this actually isn't that crazy, right? You can, it, it is understandable when you look at the variables individually, you create kind of um, analogies that relate to your reality or the people you work with or, or whatever circumstances you're finding yourself in. So hopefully that broadened your perspective on complex adaptive systems and the fact that humans are not just complicated. We're actually very complex. Sometimes very complex solutions can have very simple solutions. Uh, or complex problems rather can have really simple solutions and health really just emerges when the conditions are present to allow the system to self-organize according to your biology so live a more natural lifestyle your complex system will self-organize in a way that gives positive adaptations um and yeah we'll catch you next week thanks for listening